Hello, this is Potty Talk, real talk about incontinence and pelvic floor health. I am your host, Crystal Shouten, owner of Fitness Reset. Today, my guest is Sherry Moore, owner of Essential Physio in Brantford, Ontario. And Sherry and I will be discussing why incontinence is not just a mom issue, but an issue that all women can suffer from. Let's get into it. Welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, so, oh, you're, you're welcome. I'm very excited about this topic because it is something that I always find there's the phrase, you know, once you're a mom, you know, welcome to peeing your pants, but it certainly isn't just a mom struggle. But before we dive in, um, let's, let me, let, like, let, why don't you introduce yourself and why you got into pelvic health? Um, so, yeah, so I'm owned essential physiotherapy and my pelvic floor pelvic health physiotherapist and a child educator there. I'm one of three. We, you know, I got into pelvic health about 20 years ago. And I got into it because my first job, I worked on the chronic back team. And I was seeing a real pattern. And I was seeing a pattern of, you know, women coming in with back problems, who would tell me this history about peeing their pants, or had had abdominal surgery, had a hysterectomy, had lots of things going on that just really seemed like the story kept getting repeated and repeated. And I thought there had to be, you know, a bigger, better option for this. Like, why are we seeing this pattern? And that led me to kind of looking at alternative ideas and found pelvic health physiotherapy. So I've been doing it for about 20 years and over time started becoming more interested in obstetrics and seeing the role that that could play in really preventing, helping women uh, with their pelvic health. So that led me to become a child educator and trained in obstetrics and become an obstetric physio. So yeah, that's what brought me to it is that I really wanted to see the change happen um, for women in the future. So, you know, you've been doing this for 20 years now, over 20 years. And what would you say when you work with with women? um, What is the most common pelvic floor dysfunction um, that you see when you work with your patients? Yeah, I mean, pelvic floor dysfunction is, you know, really an umbrella term. And so you're right, there's multitude of different things that we can see that curtails to that. So number one is definitely some form of urinary incontinence. And that can either be stress incontinence, where, you know, you sneeze in your pee or urge where you, you know, you drive into the driveway, and you can have to run to the bathroom, or kind of a combination of both of those. And then I would say the second thing that we probably see most common is pelvic organ prolapse. And then people that have constipation issues, people that have pain with intercourse. Um, And then, you know, kind of the other thing that people don't always think about, but we often see those people with chronic hip, pelvis and back pain. And um, those people that, you know, have gone for other types of treatment and aren't getting any results, it's still prevailing. And, or they are getting some results, but not getting enough results. Seeing those people and realizing, wait a minute, there's actually some pelvic component to this. And if we treat that, then all of a sudden that kind of unravels. So that would be another kind of kind of spot that we definitely see people that have pelvic floor dysfunction. Now, would you say um, going back to incontinence, which you mentioned first, was basically the first one uh, widely with women. Um, Now, do you see it with mostly women who have bared children? So mothers. Um, or are you seeing it more with just, you know, women just in general and especially all ages? Um, I definitely childbirth is the biggest component. So I do say that I definitely can associate that childbirth is more common that we see. 
But I also wonder how much that is because those women are seeking out care and trying to do mm-hmm. best for them and baby. So we're getting a lot more women coming in being like, I want to prepare and I want to do things for me. So I, I think that might influence it. Um, and I think of before that kind of became a kind of trending, I think, you know, earlier on in my career, I would say it's more definitely people have had babies and, and multiple like having babies or, you know, having tears or other contributing factors that contributed to it. Mm-hmm. So pregnancy does play a huge role in childbirth does. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said earlier, there's more than, more than just that. And it is multifaceted. Mm-hmm. So generally, you know, women obviously are going to pelvic physio for care pre and, you know, postpartum, uh, prenatal and postpartum. So, you know, normally it's, you can basically find a dysfunction there, um, or they are sort of starting to notice red flags, um, when they've, you know, after giving birth, um, right. uh, but do you ever find women come in and say, I've never had children and I'm starting to notice leaks, you know, why is this happening to me? Yeah. It is a portion of people that we get. And those those people um, sometimes it's a little longer to come and see us because they, they you know, kind of think, well, I didn't have kids. And so they kind of debunk and think, well, this is just my normal. Um, and so we are getting absolutely getting those people. They, they tend to have different risk factors that kind of compounded and contributed to their problem. Um, and so for, for me, I would say that what I see is those people are, are people that tend to have too much tension in their pelvic floor. And mm-hmm. they may be the people that have, you know, intercourse pain that they thought was normal, um, and different things like that, that compound and contribute. They hold tension in their jaw. They're people that hold tension and stress in their shoulders. So those typically are the ones that we see that haven't had children that might lead them to end up having incontinence. And they are finding pelvic physio. Um, but I wonder if there's actually more out there. We did, they just don't realize that it could be something treated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, one thing I've seen is it's happening in women, younger women, um, than more, more so, you know, you know, just we, when we kind of typically think about incontinence, it's normally that age range, I would say, you know, maybe 40 to 65, we start to notice, oh, you know, the leaks are starting to happen. Um, but you know, I've seen it when I would talk to women, younger women are starting to notice it, like in their mid to late twenties, they're starting to notice some incontinence. So what, what would this stem from? You mentioned earlier, like holding tension in the jaw, obviously alignment. Um, you know, why, why is this, why are we starting to see this in, in younger women? Um, I think what we're seeing is, I think overall generations are this new generation coming through are more um, exercise focused and more lifestyle focused on doing those activities, being you know, a lot more activity available to them. So they're challenging their bodies in different ways than maybe generations ahead of them didn't. And that's why that's bringing it to the forefront a little earlier for them to recognize versus later in life when menopause hits or something that else that can amplify the problem. And so, um, and I think this again, the increased awareness, people are starting to listen and pay attention to their bodies more. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think people are catching things earlier and coming sooner um, mm-hmm. and knowing that there's options. And that's maybe why we're seeing it younger. It's not that it didn't exist. It's mm-hmm. just that people you know, didn't listen to those symptoms. And, and just overall, I feel that people are being more educated to understand and listen to their bodies. Yeah, no, it's certainly something that, you know, we're seeing more is women are talking about their pelvic health. So women in this younger generation are having that knowledge that women, you know, 
just even like 10, 15 years ago, didn't even really have. So, you know, is, is that what you're, why you're kind of saying like, yeah, women at, you know, in their like twenties, you know, to forties, you know, they're starting to have, you know, more of that education. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, you know, it's so different than, you know, like my elbow hurts and I, you know, go take care of it. They're more, you know, apt at doing that. And so because they understand, hey, this is no different than my elbow, I'm having issues here, maybe I better get that checked out or I feel tension there, maybe I should get that checked out. So, so I definitely think that that's com- contributing to why we are seeing more. It's not that, again, not the incidence is higher, it's purely that, that they're just more educated and understand that, 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 thing, that can be something that can be cared for. Mm-hmm. I also think, too, it's a good, good to be proactive about it. Absolutely. So, you know, when we talk about incontinence, you know, there's obviously more contributors to it um, as far as like, you know, you mentioned jaw clenching. So or, you know, your alignment, your posture, how you stand, how, you know, breath holding, what sort of um, things can women maybe just focus on generally that either can lead to maybe some prevention or maybe just more awareness. Um, What are other contributors? You know, we talked about, you know, obviously, um, you know, delivery and and going through pregnancy increases the risk of incontinence. But, you know, just right now, for anyone who wants to really prevent it or just create more awareness themselves around it, what sort of things should they look for or be aware of? Yeah. um, So first off, I really think people need to understand their bodies and learn about their own bodies and what is their normal. And so just like, you know, we can feel our shoulder and feel tension in our shoulder, our neck, you know, we need to stop that even our pelvic floor, like a, a muscle can is when it's tender, indicates it's dysfunctional. So that would be something I you know, introduce to women to try and just examine that area and feel and know, you know, tension in there does it feel tender and sore when I when I push around in there and um, and also look and see like what what does it look what's my normal look like so then you know you can check in on that at different points and see like actually something does look different it is starting to change because again the earlier we detect problems and we get them dealt with the more likely that we'll have resolution and then the other thing would be like you were talking about posture and people's core is that connect with their core understand that their core is you know their diaphragm it includes their transverse abdominis and include, includes their pelvic floor muscles and their multipotence or some of their back muscles, their deep back muscles. And so if they understand what their core is doing, then that, that also can help them decrease their risk because now they're not overpressurizing that system. They're not putting extra strain and stress on that pelvic floor. Then optimizing that kind of out of that, optimizing their posture, making sure they're looking at their breath patterns so they're not holding their breath, that they're making sure that they're keeping good alignment when they're standing using proper body mechanics, especially when we're lifting, and then really looking at bathroom habits, like really making sure that they're, you know, not just peeing just in case they're, you know, heading out the door, making sure they're being diligent and managing bowel and gut health, making sure they're not getting constipated, make sure they're managing and keeping their bowels working well, because that strain and stress can also be a big contributor. So those are kind of some key things, anything from posture, breath, and even lifestyle habits. Mm-hmm. No, that's great info because, you know, when you go back to like the just in case pee and like, you know, and then also women, I find too, probably don't consume a lot of water, you know, because, you know, they might notice some leakage and, um, you know, so what sort of like, what, what are like maybe two or three, I would say bad habits to start really focusing on or just kind of 
you know, being aware of, because we have those like, oh, I'm just, oh, we're going on a trip, long trip. I better just have a quick pee before we go. And your bladder, you may have just peed 20 minutes ago, but just because you're going on that trip or, you know, not, I don't want to drink too much water because I have a long day ahead of me. So like, what sort of things can women do to just maybe like listen to their body and bladder more talk to talk to their bladder (laughs) yeah gosh I mean I think you said it is is really making sure that they're not going to the bathroom just in case they're leaving Mm -hmm. and heading out the door Um, what can they do if that happens though because like sometimes it's like well I can't you know there's that fear Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have clients that, you know, I can guarantee that they know where the last stop is before they head into Toronto, which is the Tim Hortons in Mississauga. (laughs) And, you know, because the reality is, is they need to know, like, this is the last place I can go pee before I get downtown. And Mm -hmm. so I, those clients know where every bathroom is in Brantford that they can go in. And, and I mean, that, it was another thing I think that's brought things to the forefront is COVID, right? You know, those because people couldn't get into the bathrooms anymore. You couldn't just stop at Tim Hortons and go to the bathroom. Um, I will say a Tim Hortons, right? Tim Hortons thing during COVID. Um, Cause you know, me, Sherry knows me, I'm a bladder holder and I can hold my bladder for a very long time. Not a good thing. People will say that's impressive, but I don't think it is. And going to drop my parents off at the airport and it was COVID and I had to pee and I peed in a large Tim Hortons cup in my car. And I like perfected (laughs) peeing in my car in either Tim Hortons cups or um, those like vomit pee bags. Very perfected. So, I mean, like, I think everyone has their like story with that, right? Um, But yeah. But yeah, no matter what those are. I think people, yeah, I think that's the struggle is people need to know what kind of is normal so they can kind mm-hmm. of if they are getting into that habit of just peeing they're noticing like every time I see a bathroom I pee you can almost yeah. get a kind of like an actual mental association with that or or you're doing errands and you're like oh yeah I have to go pee and then you're like oh I'll go as soon as I get home and then you you drive in the driveway and all of a sudden your body feels this instant urge just because we yeah. kind of programmed it to we like thought that so therefore we're, we're home then we're not inside so even changing your language to yourself and say you know when I get home I'll go to the bathroom when I get in the uh, sitting on the toilet on the bathroom right when I, yeah. I get into the bathroom kind of even making that mental note and then I always say to people is you know you you want to start li- like telling your body like hey like I just went to the bathroom t- 20 minutes ago I'm uh, gonna wait a little bit longer and see and then wait till that kind of second urge or before you actually go and try to progress that um if you know that you're kind of getting into that habitual pain mm-hmm. so consistently. Does incontinence really have like a, um, a specific age or specific person? Like, you know, that's just, you know, basically like, you know, obviously everything is not a mom, just a mom issue. Maybe isn't just an age issue, but like, do you find there's a grouping where it's seen more? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And it's not just a mom thing. It's not just a woman thing. There's actually men that have yeah. problems too. Um, sure, we also yeah. see it in kids. We see it at all different mm-hmm. ages. And and we treat all of the above at our, our, at our clinic um, mm-hmm. and work with that. So it's, it, it's, not, it's not just an age thing. It's not just a gender thing. Um, mm-hmm. I know statistically what we're, what, you know, the research is showing us, it depends on what type of incontinence it is. For example, if it's stress incontinence, that's more prevalent in 
your younger middle-aged women, kind of under 55 years of age. Okay. And then your urge incontinence occurs more often in the senior age group. That's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, in fact, 55% of Canadian Canadian women, this is Canadian stat, 55% today of yeah. women 65 and older struggle from incontinence. And versus 16% of women 18 to 40 that ex- experience incontinence. And that's your urge incontinence. Mm-hmm. Right. So How that's that. Explain- oh, I need to run to go to the bathroom. So that, yeah, I was going to say, can you explain? So that's like run to go to the bathroom, can't hold it. Yeah. Need to get yeah. There. So, so stress incontinence, you cough, you sneeze, you laugh, okay. you, you lift something like you have an exertion mm-hmm. that, that you get dribbling with that. And any incontinence is any amount of mm-hmm. leakage. And then your urge incontinence is that like, I can't make it to the bathroom, I have to run. Like, you know, I have to go more often. This is something that we refer to it as frequency. Mm-hmm. Often those people are told you just have a small bladder. Well, it's right. very, very rare that that truly actually exists. Mm-hmm. It's more often to do with other things and mm-hmm. things that actually are treatable. Um, so I really, you know, it's, it's um, now I'm very hopeful that with the changes in the, the trending that we're seeing with pelvic health and the amount of women that are being so proactive, like in their 20s and their 30s mm-hmm. and the childbearing years and making different change d- decisions and coming in earlier to seek out like, hey, like this doesn't feel quite right. I'm very hopeful that we'll see that urgent continence decrease you know, in the older population mm-hmm. as that new generation moves through. So what should women really watch for? Like, when should they seek help? Yeah, so women should watch for risk factors and be really proactive before a problem amplifies. So so there's, a, you know, like quite a few things, like I was saying before, really understanding your body, what's your normal, you know, are you getting tension in there? Okay, you know, is it, is that a sign of dysfunction? And it's an early sign. So that would be, you know, a reason to maybe seeking out and, and getting help. But if they're paying attention also to other symptoms, so often I see women's problems amplify and they come in once they hit menopause because now they're actually like wearing like a full pad versus the yeah. leakage or they're getting more active now because now their kids are older and they have time for them. And so, excuse me. So I find that, um, so I kind of find that two things I want people to pay attention to or, or listen, because those women are, are sharing like, yeah, I remember like putting a tampon in was difficult. You know, that changed for me. And that is a sign, right? Mm-hmm. So two areas I want people to pay attention to is, is, you know, these signs are symptoms of pain are usually an indication or these signs of dysfunction are usually an indication. And I'll give you a list. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, if somebody has pain struggles with intercourse, um, that's usually indication that there's a, that's, that's a risk factor and that's, that's something that should be looked at. If somebody mm-hmm. has tailbone pain or fallen and hurt their tailbone, that's often an indication to get looked at. Mm-hmm. Back hip pain or even abdominal pain, especially even menstrual pain, you know, that amplifies during menstrual cycle can also be an indication that there's some tension issues. Repetitive bladder or vaginal infections can, um, can also be an indication ongoing feeling that you have to pee that you just can't get rid of. You just feel like you have to pee all the time. And other pain would be pelvic pain, abdominal pressure, or even just a heaviness feeling, especially for our our runners out there. If they're starting to feel heaviness in the pelvic region, that's often an indication that that's something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And then for dysfunction, it's things like, you know, that stress incontinence or urge incontinence, any amount of it inability to fully empty that bladder and that's for those people that like sit on the toilet they go pee they stand up they have to sit back down and go pee and they feel like they have to go more but they only drive, like have a little bit of pee or they leave the bathroom and then turn around and have to go right back 
that's mm-hmm. kind of that type of symptom is something to pay attention to. If they notice the frequency is increasing, especially nighttime peeing, um, you know, nighttime peeing is a usually a good indication that there's some dysfunction going on. You know, once a night after the age of 55, it's considered normal, but under that, you shouldn't be getting up through the night. Yeah, mm-hmm. our moms could be a little bit different just as they're kind of going through some um, changes with their body, but but generally that you really shouldn't be getting up through the night until you're a little older. Mm-hmm. And then difficulty using a menstrual cup or a tampon or difficult or just even the change. Like if that changes and it doesn't feel like it's as easy to do as it used to be, that can also indicate some dysfunction. So there's a lot of things to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are all hints to say like, you know, there's actually something going on and, and seeking out somebody that works in this area would be really a good idea. So what happens if someone, because we always hear they're like, well, it's, it's normal. It's me now. Like, you know, maybe I'll just, I'll just deal with it in, you know, a couple years or I'll just kind of go on. Like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes there's no, it could be just like, well, I'm sure it'll be okay. And, you know, just that, that kind of thought, like what happens if someone just leaves it and doesn't do anything about it. Right. I mean, cause we're so busy. There's so many, you know, a lot of women, you know, they don't make themselves a priority. So they think like, okay, I'll just deal with it. I know that's the one question I ask a lot of clients is just like, what do you think will happen if you don't do anything about it now? Well, it'll get worse. I don't want to wear incontinence pads. Do you find that? Yeah. What would you say? Like, yeah. What would, what happens if we don't do something about it? Yeah. So we know that incontinence, is a multifaceted problem it's not just you have um it's not just you have um you know one thing that causes it it's usually a combination so it's just like i said like it's not just childbirth that is part of it it can be genetics childbirth um being overweight you know it can be a multitude of things that contribute to it but we also know hormones is a big contributor to it as well and that's Mm -hmm. the change of just your estrogen and and just the integrity of your tissues and the you know circulation to the tissues as we age changes and so i see you know those people that didn't take time when they're younger, when they started noticing some of those first kind of signs and symptoms, mm-hmm. or they, you know, kind of felt not necessarily like the problem was addressed and kind of thought, Oh, no, that the person, you know, I went to seek help, and they didn't kind of feel like it was necessary. Right. Then yeah. we see the problem get amplified at menopause. And yeah. that because that's one more factor. And that's the tipping point that can really make it different for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know that incontinence is one of the number one reasons people lose their independence and need to go into a nursing home. Right. And we know other countries who who make pelvic health as part of their health care automatic, um, especially if people have babies, we know that that results in a decrease of that in their mm-hmm. country. So so the biggest thing is, yeah, the sooner we listen to it, the sooner we're proactive, the less likely we're going to end up with a dysfunction once we hit menopause. And then from there, it's, you know, we can always still make change. I don't want people to feel hopeless if they are older and they are having some, exactly. we can always make some changes, but mm-hmm. it's harder to, to, to make things like it still is a harder challenge. It's much easier to fix it when it's when it's early, right. when it's caught early. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
one well, thing too, because because it's a topic right now, and the women who are in their, you know, menopause, like have are in their, you know, in menopause or approaching menopause, or you know, they didn't have this information when they were in their thirties. So, but they are being proactive about it now because they now know that this is something that is not normal and they're starting to be proactive and yeah, it's never too late. It's just now we're talking about it, but we weren't talking about it, you know? So it's, I would say that, you know, this generation that I would say in their, you know, in their, I'm any age really, because we talked about, you know, even teens and kids can start to have some, you know, some incontinence. It's just like, utilize this information and really kind of, you know, take into account of and, and, and listen more because you have this opportunity to, you know, get to those, you know, pre-menopause, menopause, post-menopause age where it's like, I don't have incontinence because I did all the things, but I do find it, it li- like it liberating that women are like, no, no, I'm going to fix this on my own. And they want to, they don't want to do surgery. They don't want to wear, you know, incontinence pads anymore. So it is, um, it is great to have that, you know, opportunity for women to start taking charge of their health. And they can, you know, the biggest thing too, is like, it's all about movement and release work and, you know, connecting better with your, your deep core. Right. So that's also quite like, cause I think people, you know, probably think too, like, Oh, well, this pelvic floor might just be boring. <laughs> right. Like to, but yeah, it's not just about Kegels, right? Like, yeah, it's not like just you and I know, exactly. yeah, it's not just about Kegels, and and uh, and it's about learning your whole body. And and I think like a big part of what your program is is about teaching people about their foundation. And mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't have a good foundation, then your body doesn't work as efficiently. Mm-hmm. And then over time, that takes a toll on your neck. It takes a toll on your shoulders. You know, yeah. the pelvic region is also part of your circulatory system. It's a, it's part of your you know it, it's the sub pump. It gets things going for you. So if there's a function there, it affects way more than it just being about peeing your pants too, right? Mm-hmm. And so then, it, you know, it, it's about the efficiency of your body and the toll it takes outside of that. So there's a real catalyst of things that can happen um, mm-hmm. from that. So explain just, but we're going to just kind of end on this because I always find this really interesting talking about Kegels, you know, being a prescribed quite widely and a lot of women don't find any success with them or they don't know how to actually perform a Kegel. Um, but you know, you mentioned earlier about the tone of the pelvic floor. So holding too much tension in the pelvic floor, um, or having your pelvic floor too lax. So explain what that means and what that is. Cause I think a lot of people have no idea. Like they think like, you know, their pelvic floor, I mean, obviously they have a weak pelvic floor, but they maybe don't know why or what, what it is like. So if you can just explain the different types of yeah. <laughs> or not. Yeah, I, well, I think it's important to understand that it's a pressurized system. So it's not more than just looking at the pelvic floor, it's looking at that whole system and how it operates. And and so like I was saying before, the core is made up of the pelvic floor, the the diaphragm, the transverse abdominis, which are some inner abdominal muscles and some inner back muscles called your bicipitus. Mm-hmm. And so think of that like it's a toothpaste, like a tube of toothpaste, right? Yeah. Your pelvic floor is the cap of the toothpaste. So if I put a little bit of pressure on that, that, that tube of toothpaste would manage that pressure and there would be no escape of toothpaste. So that's important. That's functional, right? 
Mm-hmm. But if I have that cap on really, really tight, and I, you know, think of that as being t- tension of your pelvic floor, and then I add in, you know, I'm doing things with core with breathing. Now I increase that pressure on that toothpaste tube so much so that now it's going to bust where the weakness is. So that mm-hmm. could be your pelvic floor. It could be somewhere else. And then also now you're getting, you know, issues with your rib cage because you're getting a cut. Your diaphragm is taking on so much pressure. Mm-hmm. So then if you don't have enough tension in the pelvic floor, enough strength and support, then that's almost like the cap of the toothpaste is off. You add that pressure and that's where you get your leakage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's an important part of a big system and that right. has to be assessed as a whole. So, yeah, I, th- I think that answers your question. Mm-hmm. Well, even so, like, you know, we talk about the pelvic floor, but then there's also can be tension in the diaphragm. That affects your pelvic floor. Which like affects, affects the pelvic yeah. floor. Yeah. So there's just like, yeah, like we, and that's why Kegels aren't really the, you know. Yeah. Like, okay. Just do Kegels and you'll be fine. <laughs> right. And I mean, and, and all honesty, in the beginning of my career, we did yeah. focus a lot on Kegels and we yeah. started realizing, hey, like we're only getting 50% of these people better and the other people we aren't. Then we kind of realized, wait a minute, there's actually a combo going on here. Somebody can be really tense and not be strong and somebody can be really weak and be very loose down there so so or be like have extra lengths in those muscles yeah. so it, it's really learning about how what your body's doing and we don't have a good relationship with this area of our body we don't talk about it we only learn right. a little bit about it and so we don't know what it's doing and um so that is also why kegels don't work is that if you don't do them right you don't know mm-hmm. are you supposed to be doing the tension part of the kegel or are you supposed to you know are you letting finding the, the relaxation space where mm-hmm. that kegel should be at rest and then turning it on and off can you do that at what point can you do that can you vary it those are all important pieces and and you know in all honesty often you can't assess it without internally palpating Mm-hmm. Um, you can attempt and you can definitely look at other factors, but internal palpation, if it's yourself or, you know, having a professional working with you um, can definitely help you guide you learning some generic strategies because it is common to see very similar patterns with people. Um, mm-hmm. So, that you, you know, there's definitely some strategies that people can learn prior to and give those a test out for sure. But if they really want to know if they're truly doing it, seeing a professional is important. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because it, I know I like when you said before, you know, you're doing a Kegel correctly when you're not doing anything else, right? Like scrunching your toes or freezing your shoulders or, you know, like you're doing it with that, ind- you know, kind of independent voluntary contraction without kind of squeezing everything. Yeah. Like, you know, you're doing it right when you know you're not doing it all the wrongs. Like, you know, right. I even say scrunching your nose, curling your toes, holding your breath. Those are all, you know, usually means you're doing it wrong because you're trying so hard to do it that it's not supposed to be hard. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like you're trying to do an exerted, you know, lift a hundred pounds. Right. Right. Wonderful. Well, this was a great conversation. I loved learning more and then just, you know, really talking about those, you know, things to be aware of. Um, and so what would be, okay, just to summarize, what are three things that women should just focus on after listening to this? Three things. So number one, I would say, learn your body, know what, know, are you carrying tension or, mm-hmm. you know, what your normal is? 
Um, number two is connecting to your core, know what your core is. And number three is, is understanding breath pattern and how you should be um, using breath pattern in your everyday activities. Awesome. And how can people reach, reach you to learn more, to get an assessment? Um, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, so we're on 97 Brand app. We, our phone number is 519-752-2151. Or they could also email us at essentialphysio.ca. Um, no, at gmail.ca, sorry. And uh, you also can find us on Facebook. That, I mean, Facebook and find us um, also on the web. Yeah, and I will have all that information for everyone. Um, and if you've never had a pelvic floor assessment, I highly recommend you book one. Doesn't matter what age you are. Do you have an age to... I, to start for a pelvic? Um, it, it, it varies on the person. I okay. definitely, um, you know, we tend not to, we, we do work with children, but we tend not to do internal work. Right. So it, that they, we can do a lot of other assessments and strategies and techniques with them. So it's definitely, you know, you, once you get into adulthood, that, that, that would mm-hmm. be considered. And, and, you know, we always see people like, if that's not doing an internal exam is something that you're very right. comfortable with, come and meet your professional work through some other stuff and then, you know, definitely develop a plan that works best. But the internal piece is not as scary as a lot of people think it is. And um, I mean, I think you can attest to that. And, and, um, and so it's, and it provides a lot of really key information and and helps people connect and learn about their body, which we think is really important. Perfect. So getting that baseline and do you recommend that it's good to go and get assessed on almost like every one to two years just to know if things change or changing down there. <laughs> yeah. Especially for people that, that have some risk, risk factors, like mm-hmm. um, it, it's, and because no one it's it's the early symptoms, like the, you know, what we consider a grade one or two prolapse. Um, they're not really detected by anybody unless they're very trained in the area to look for it. Right. And so, and those are the things that we can still reverse and make changes with. So, yeah, so we do recommend that people do, you know, it's almost like, you know, you go for your physical, go mm-hmm. every one to two years for a pelvic assessment, especially if you have some of these risk factors. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you again. Um, welcome. Potty Talks with Crystal and my special guest, Sherry, um, more from owner of Essential Physio and a physiotherapist, um, pelvic floor physiotherapist. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Take care.